keep people feeling like they have to work a second job or even a third job to pay their bills. That is not the sign of a healthy economy, Sean. The number of people in the workforce fell by 600,000. The reason the unemployment rate fell is because people aren't even looking for jobs right now. This brings up so many questions. How does the Secretary of Defense not communicate with the White House in a period of five days and nobody cares? 100%. Uh, how does the National Security Advisor, even if you don't, even if you take the president out of the loop, how does the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, not know that there is nobody running the Defense Department? At that point, with nobody knowing him gone, there was no civilian control of the, of the Department of Defense. All right, folks, welcome back to the Sean Spicer Show. I hope you had a great weekend. If you are a Patriots fan, you didn't have a great weekend. We, we did not end on a great note. Um, we didn't have a great season. Let's just be blunt. But uh, it was not a strong finish to a season. Uh, so on to politics, because at least there's a lot happening there to distract from. Um, there is a lot going on right now. Congress is 11 days from a government shutdown. Now, remember, Speaker Mike Johnson has this two-step deal where four of the appropriations bills that are remaining need to be funded by January 19th and then the remaining by February 2nd. Uh, they announced this big deal over the weekend and he put out a note to all the Republican members saying, this is a great deal. Here's how much money we clawed back. Um, Chuck Schumer sends a similar note out to Democrats saying, hey, we got a great deal. This is awesome for Democrats. Very, very Washington of them. If I haven't. So I'm going to break that down with Steve Moore and Doug Collins in a little bit. Steve Moore, obviously, President Trump's one of his top economists. And ironically, Yahoo is out with a story today. I'm going to talk to Steve Moore about this that claims that all of these people who work for Donald Trump on the in the economic realm are kind of nutty and crazy. And yet, if you recall, Inflation was lower, the economy was better, more people were at work. So it's sort of like, well, wait a second. These people all advised him on an economy that seemed a heck of a lot stronger and on policies that were more fruitful for the American people. And yet this is how it's being framed by the media. I mean, it's pretty typical. But I'm thinking to myself, the people that are advising President Biden don't seem to be doing too well. Inflation is still higher than it was when Trump came in office. Gas is still higher than it came in. All of these costs, interest rates are through the roof. So tell me what's better. And by the way, a lot of Democratic bedwetting over the weekend, a lot of stories. President Obama apparently had this secret lunch with Biden where he complained that their campaign just isn't doing the right things. It's not reaching out to the right people. It's not prosecuting the issues. He had that big speech over the weekend on January 6th. You tell me, I get that might fire up a bunch of these uh, liberals. But is that really moving the needle? One Republican operative over the weekend on one of the Sunday show said he felt like an old man was reading a story. The speech was rambling. President Trump mocked it when he was in Iowa over the weekend. It was kind of like, it literally, and, and when you heard him, you could tell he was on the prompter, the Biden that is. And he was like, it was like these string together words that sounded like a big blob. You could tell that he was yelling a bunch of the words in the teleprompter. And Trump was like mocking it because it really was ridiculous. This guy can't even focus his rage. But the issue of January 6th, if you think that's what's getting people fired up, then you're missing the border. You're missing the economy. These folks in the administration think somehow the economy is just going to make itself better. 
There was a story in Axios this morning. I'm going to talk to Steve Moore about this in a minute. But one of the things that was in it is they just think that like within a few months, it'll turn around. Like somehow going to the grocery store won't have the same effect it's having on people now. It's pretty unbelievable. That's what they think. They think it's just a matter of time. That's all it is, folks. Just wait a little bit. Um, as I mentioned, Trump has a bunch of legal issues coming up. We're going to talk about that this week, but here's the deal. He's going to be back in D.C. tomorrow. There are two big things on the agenda this week. One is this immunity case. And basically what that amounts to is that Trump is making the case that all of the actions that he took were done under the auspices of being president, right? So I was engaging in these things in my role as president of the United States. And if I'm doing that, then I'm immune from prosecution. What a lot of legal scholars are saying is that you were talking about your political future. You were talking about a race. So you weren't talking about the business of the United States, your actions as president. You were talking about things and taking action in pursuit as a candidate for office. Now, from the legal people that I talk to, obviously Alan Dershowitz uh, has been on the show and he has said that Trump should have immunity, but a lot of the legal folks that I'm hearing from think this is the weakest of all the arguments. And I would argue it's probably the least impactful. Yes, if if he were to get a ruling in his favor, I think everything else goes away, but that's not going to happen. The bigger one is this 14th Amendment thing to get him taken off the ballot. The Supreme Court agreed to hear that. The first motions are later this week where they have to have their cases in. This is where I think the big thing is going to be, does the court rule 9-0 in some way, shape, or form? And they have to. I mean, the reality is the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is very vague about whether or not Trump's even the president, not just Trump, is bound by this. It talks about member of Congress and senator, elector. It doesn't mention president. And the framers were clear. They knew how to do this. Later on in Section 5, it talks about what the House can do to remedy this. It's pretty clear it needs a congressional action. So even liberals are arguing that he should not be taken off the ballot for this reason. And, and that, you know, how the court you know, gets into this, I think they're going to find some narrow way to say, well, we're not going to litigate whether he's an insurrectionist or not, because they don't want to get into that. They're going to argue regardless that he can't be taken off the ballot because there should be some other remedy that Congress should be putting in there or some process. Anyway, that's, that's what's happening out in, in that front. As part of the new year resolution, did you decide you want a little financial security, diversify your options? Well, I've got an idea for you. Go visit my friends at Bishop Gold Group. They are who I depend on when I wanted to diversify my account into precious metals. I called them up. I had a conversation about what, where I was in terms of uh, my investment portfolio, where I was in terms of retirement. And we created a plan that involved precious metals, a mix of gold and silver. The best part about it is you can sit down and figure out what works for you. If you want to roll over an IRA, if you've got particular savings, if you want to hold it, if you want them to hold it, all of those things they can answer on the phone for you. And in these days of economic insecurity, this is the way to go. Diversify your account. Think about how you can add precious metals to that portfolio that you have, how you roll over that IRA or anything else, give them a call right now, 844-984-1616, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean for a special promotional offer. The other thing that I want to talk about 
with Doug Collins as a guy that served. He's a colonel in the Air Force Reserve. He had served in the Navy prior to that. He was obviously a member of Congress. Um, the Secretary of Defense checks himself or goes in um, on the, I think it was the 27th of December for a, what they call an elective procedure. On the 1st of January, he goes into the ICU at Walter Reed Medical Center, doesn't tell anybody for immense pain. He is put into the ICU and kept there for days. The deputy secretary, Kathleen Hicks, is in Puerto Rico on vacation. They finally tell her that some of the powers are being transferred to him, but not why. They never inform the national security advisor or the president of the United States that at a time when we're in multiple conflicts, monitoring them around the world, Ukraine, Israel, we're watching the South China Sea, Iran, we're firing weapons into Iraq during that period. No one tells the president of the United States that the secretary of defense is in the ICU. What is going on? And now today there's a little bit of outrage because the press had their feelings hurt, but there's a bigger issue here. The leader, the civilian head of the department of defense, the top of the chain of command, no one knows that he is unavailable, that he's out of commission. That's a problem. All right, so we're going to break down all the stuff that's going on in the economy with Steve Moore, one of President Trump's most trusted economic advisors. And then I want to get to a lot of the rest of the political stuff with Doug Collins, former congressman from Georgia and chair of the Georgia State Chapter of the America First Policy Institute. Let's get into it. Steve Moore, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Sean, great to be with you. Thank you. So you are all uh, economic stuff. I want to start you with a headline out of Axios today. It says, President Biden's allies see an opening. Americans are now getting an actual pay raise, even after inflation. Then they write, why it matters. Rising real, that is inflation-adjusted earnings, are a primary indication of improving standards of living. Do you agree with that? I do agree that the most important statistic is what's happening to people's paychecks, no question about it. Uh, you have to look at what's happened over the last three years, and you have to look at what, you know, when you look at the total inflation rate over that period, and then the the uh, pay increases of average Americans, I could not agree more. That's the most important statistic, and it's really bad. So let me give you <laughs> give you a comparison. So when Donald Trump was president over the four years he was president, you look at median household income. This is Census Bureau data, the gold standard of, of measuring uh, you know, a number of people and how they're doing. The average family, not the rich, the average family had a $6,000 increase in their income. That's a big increase, Sean, over four years, $6,000 adjusted for inflation. You know what that number is so far under Biden? I wouldn't even want to venture a guess. Negative 2,100. See, that's, but see, this is the thing, Steve. I've always maintained that the economy isn't a statistic. When you ask people, pollsters ask people how they're doing, it's a gut. I don't exactly. need you to tell me 10 statistics from the government. I need to, I know in my paycheck, hey, I just paid this for eggs. This is how much I have left for my kids to yes. maybe go to a movie or to invest something in their education. But the, the Biden administration continues to try to sell us on statistics where they say, look at this number. And, mm -hmm. and for most Americans, I think they look at their bottom line and say, I know Great. that when I go to the grocery store, when I go to the, when I look at my budget at the end of the month, this is how much I have left and it's not more. And what you just said accentuates that. Yeah. So um, you're right that 
um, Americans know what things cost. And let me give an example of how they kind of lie with statistics. It, it is true. It is true that the inflation rate is down. You know, yeah. it was it was 1.6% when Trump left office. I don't know how he did it, but somehow Biden took the inflation rate from 1.6% to 9.2% in 18 months. I wouldn't have thought that was possible. Right. But so, but now the inflation rate's running at about 3.5%. And I know a lot of people are going to get angry at me for saying that because that's the official statistic and people feel that it's a lot higher than that. But let's just take the official numbers. That still means that prices today for everything that you buy are 20% higher on average than when Biden came in office, yet their wages and salaries are only up by 17%. In other words, they, they, and so what did they do? What are people doing? We know this. They're, they're ringing up their credit card because right. they can't pay their bills to, to maintain their current standard of living. There is a reason, Sean, why every single poll for the last two years, whether it's Fox News or whether it's MSNBC or whether it's Gallup or any of the polls, they're all completely consistent and they haven't changed one iota. 70 to 80 percent of americans say they're worse off today than they were when trump was president <laughs> you know, right. so i listen to the people not the newscast can i ask you a question about inflation like let's say i go to a restaurant and i listened to an interview the other day with an owner of a, of a small um independent restaurant and he was saying my costs for meats are up my costs for yeah. vegetables are up okay so when you go to a restaurant, let's say that they a year ago or six months ago took the $10 item, the sandwich, and made it a $12 item, they're not reprinting the menus and dropping it back down. That that menu still says $12. So they might have seen a little bit of, of adjustment in what they're paying for their raw materials, those the pork and the meat and the eggs, et cetera, yes. but they're not passing it along to consumers. Is that fair? Well, don't forget, uh, Sean, that you, let's say you're that small business restaurant owner, your costs are going up, your cost of energy, your cost of the food, your cost of, you know, all of the electricity to run your, all those things are higher. So the small businesses are really getting socked too. I mean, here's one of the ironies, in my opinion, of the, of the Biden presidency. If you're in the top 5% of income, yeah, you know, you've done pretty well over the last few years, no question about it, you know, a decent stock market, things like that. Um, if you look at people in the middle, they're just getting clobbered, working class Americans. And that's, you know, as you know, you work for President Trump. He he is the president of working class Americans. Right. And Biden, it, that's the irony. Biden's the, who are Biden's strongest supporters? The top <laughs> people in the top two or 3% and the people in universities with cushy jobs and government employees who don't feel the effects of these kinds of um, real world impacts, their policies, because they're kind of immune from it. Look, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a millionaire, does it really matter to you that the price of food went up by 20%? No, right. <laughs> it's a regressive tax. All right, folks, if you've been part of the show for a long time, you know about my friend Leo Grill from Delta Rescue. If you go to deltarescue.org, you can see the great work that they do as the world's largest no-kill sanctuary. That's right, no-kill sanctuary, not a shelter, a sanctuary for all sorts of abandoned cats, dogs, and other animals. Leo Grillo has made it his life mission to do that. And the thing about Leo is that this was a mission that he started a long time ago when he rescued a Doberman named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. And that's exactly what they've done at Delta Rescue. If you go to deltarescue.org, you can see all the videos of the great work that they're doing. But more importantly, they rely entirely on contributions like me and you. 
right? So when we give them $5 or $100 or whatever, that's how they support. But Leo wants to make this an enduring mission. If you go to deltarescue.org, you can download their estate planning guide and help make Delta Rescue a part of your enduring mission as well. Go to deltarescue.org, click on that estate planning guide and see if you can join others in making Delta Rescue an enduring mission for years to come. So getting back to my point about statistics, there was the the White House has made some hay about how well the job market has been doing. I I read that there's some controversy in terms yeah. of how those numbers are cooked. Can you explain what the controversy is? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was on uh, Fox Business News when the jobs report came out on Friday. And so, you know, all we have was the headline number, Sean, you know, uh, the 210,000. I said, oh, wow, this is a pretty good report, 210,000 right. jobs. And then, you know, the devil really is in the details. When I got a chance to actually look at the report and all the data, it's not a good report. It's a bad report. First of all, do you know what the single biggest employer has been over the last year? I, this is where it's the government, right? Government. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it keeps hiring more people. And so that's number one, but I'm not done yet, Sean. So that, so we want government. <laughs> Just so we're clear, that's as far as I can go though. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was one thing. Second of all, um, if you look at the uh, number, did you see this data yet on the number of multiple job holders? Right. It's skyrocketing. In fact, uh, the number of people in, you know, who are just holding one job, that number fell, that number fell. People, you know, it's an old kind of joke about, yeah, I know there are a lot of jobs out there because I have three of them. And, <laughs> you know, pe people are feeling like they have to work a second job or even a third job to pay their bills. That is not the sign of a healthy economy, Sean. And then finally, uh, the number of people in the workforce fell by 600,000. The reason the unemployment rate fell is because people aren't even looking for jobs right now. I think partly that's because Biden's passing out so much free money to people. There are a lot of people who don't have to work. So how much is is interest rates? Are, are they playing? I mean, like the Biden White House seems frustrated. They're like, look, we have all these good numbers to sell people. I, and as I said, I just think that most people are saying, that's great. You're, you're selling me a, a bumper sticker here's what's beneath the bumper sticker and it's not good. But how much is this uh, beyond what we've talked about, a function of interest rates being high and that affecting people's credit cards and adjustable mortgages, et cetera? Well, I want to be clear on one thing. I mean, there's no question the economy is better today than it was a year ago. There's no doubt. It's improved. And that's because we hit such a deep ditch last year uh, in terms of, you know, the inflation rate going up to almost double digits. Um, but here's the problem. I think most Americans see what's happening in Washington. I mean, people don't pay that much attention to it, but they do see this obscene, massive increase. It's all borrowed. It's like a big bubble. Well, it's and, a bubble. Yeah. I mean, that's the next thing I want to get to. Is it, 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 we're now just past $34 trillion <laughs> in debt. I, and the thing is, Steve, I, I, have, I, I have always believed that deficits matter. And and I know that right. there's some, yeah. you know, discussion with uh, among economists what that, but, but the idea that you continue to pile up trillions, $34 trillion, there isn't a, a great country in the history of the right. universe that hasn't collapsed. Yeah. And I feel like both parties, like we, let's just be blunt, like right. both parties love to spend and we're not serious about it. And, and so number one, how concerned are you about the spending? 
Oh, well, the spending is, you know, massively out of control. The Republicans just agreed to a new budget with uh, with uh, Biden. I don't, you know, I think Mike Johnson, the new speaker, did a pretty good job here, given the given the hand that he holds. You know, let's face it, the Democrats, Chucky Schumer runs the Senate. Joe Biden runs the White House. Republicans have a tiny majority in the House. Uh, you know, if you want to fix this budget, you know, Mike Johnson, as good a speaker as he has been, he can't do it. We need right. a new president. If you don't get a new president, we are headed for 34 to $50 trillion. Uh, you know, by the way, Sean, let's say you and I went out uh, tonight and we had a big party and we had champagne and caviar and lobster and we were dancing on the tables and blah, blah, blah. You know, and then we just paid for it with our credit card. You know, that's great, except we're not going to be able to get out of bed the next morning. That's kind of what we're doing with our federal budget right now. Yeah, but the difference is, is that we wake up <laughs> we would, listen, hypothetically. <laughs> right. And we and we'd look at the receipt and go, oh my goodness, this means I now have to go to work later. And because, you know, MasterCard or Visa or American yeah. Express doesn't care. I feel like these guys taking a hangover pill uh, before they go to bed, they wake up and they're like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's a good but, analogy. But, but so, you know, incidentally, the one of the biggest buyers of our debt are the Chinese. So, right. it, what this means is our kids are going to owe the Chinese children what money. I mean, it's a, it's it's what I call. So, if uh, you were advising President Trump, I, I mean, I look look the 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 big drivers of this are entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, etc. Yeah. What, what what President Trump, God love him for what he did to the economy and everything else, but debt. What and, and there was there was reasons, and I'm not trying to pile on. I mean, we had to deal with the global pandemic, etc. But if if and when he returns for a second term, what does Steve Moore tell him about how to address the debt? Well, uh, he's got the right agenda. I mean, I just met with the president a few weeks ago out in Mar-a-Lago. We spent about 45 minutes talking about this. And I asked him, you know, what are some of the first things you're going to do to turn around this economy and the debt? And he had it right on. He said, first of all, we're going, he said, I'm going to have a stack of executive orders one inch thick on my desk on January 22nd, 2025. And we're going to reverse all these crazy executive orders that Biden has put into place, which have been nooses around the neck of our business, because we have to grow. We have to grow the economy or we're never going to get the debt down. And then he said, look, we're going to we're going to drill. You're going to use American oil and gas. Think of how many people we could put in, in, employ in jobs. Think of how we could actually reduce our trade and our budget deficit. You know, when you produce oil at home, guess what? You get tax revenues from that. You're not sending the money to Saudi Arabia and Iran and Russia. Uh, and then he's talking about, you know, having some spending restraint in Washington. So we, but you got to get the economy. You know this because you talked to Larry Kudlow, our mutual buddy. You got to get growth up. And there's no reason we can't have this economy growing at three to 4%, not the measly one and a half percent it's grown under Biden. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Last time we balanced the budget in the, in the mid '90s, it was largely because we got things moving. But it, it does right. need to be coupled with spending restraint. That's right. I want to read you something funny because you just said that you had met with President Trump. This is out of Yahoo this morning. It says Trump is promising to reduce inflation. His plans may reignite it. Here's why I want to read it to you. It says Trump's enormously disruptive policy proposals come as he appears likely to jettison the more cautious and establishment-friendly economic advice advisors that restrained his most nationalist and confrontational impulses during his first term. These advisors, such as former Treasury Steven Mnuchin, now find themselves either at war with Trump or receding from his inner circle, potentially empowering more fringe voices. Are you one of those fringe voices, Steve Moore? 
Well, I, I, I don't know if I'm a fringe voice, but I know this. I love what Donald Trump did for the economy. But don't you think it's funny that, yeah. that you, you we look back yeah. at the policies that were under the, and you and Larry Kudlow and others yeah. were advising him. And yet unemployment was historically low. Yeah. The economy was humming. Inflation yeah. was low, as you just pointed it out. And that's how they categorize this. What, what I'm sorry, can juxtapose that to Biden? I'll take the fringe advisors any yeah. day if those are the results we get. Well, I'll just give you one kind of funny anecdote about that, which is that um, the, you know, when Biden came out with this massive spending spree, uh, there were, believe it or not, you're not going to believe this, Sean, there were 12 Nobel Prize economists who signed on with Biden. And they said, don't worry, Biden's spending spree won't cause inflation. Now, are those the people who are we're supposed to be listening to? I mean, if I if I had said something like that, I'd send back my you know PhD. <laughs> you know, I said maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. So you know, by, the thing I love about Trump is he has great advisors. Yeah. Larry uh, Kudlow, some of the smartest people, Kevin Hassett, uh, and look and great results. Simple, by the way, simple. This election is so simple. This is what I told Trump. You just do exactly what Ronald Reagan did in 1980. You look right in that camera when you're in front of 150 million people debating Joe Biden, and you ask the question, you know this question, right, Sean? Are you better you off than you were four years ago? All right. Steve Moore, last question. Yeah. Uh, this article in, in Yahoo says that President Trump will have to decide what to do with Jerome Powell. Never in history has a president fired a, a Fed share. They're suggesting he might do it. Would you advise him to fire Jerome Powell? Oh, absolutely. I would get rid of, rid of Jerome Powell. I, you know, I think there's so many good people. How about Larry Kudlow for the Fed? Sure. I'll, I'll do it. Steve Moore. There you go. I, I, you guys you guys can battle it out. There's plenty I of told, jobs. By the way, I told Trump that one of his biggest mistakes was was uh, appointing Jerome Powell in the first place. Powell's policies contributed to the 9% inflation that we haven't seen in 50 years in this country. Yeah. Steve Moore, thanks for joining us. Happy 2024. And uh, I hope you keep advising President Trump, because we need more of those policies and less of the ones that we have. Thanks, Sean. You bet. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four. Patriots.com includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. All right, I think we made some news there with Steve Moore saying that we should fire the Federal Reserve Chairman, Jay Powell. Let's get all politics now with former Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia. Doug Collins, welcome back to the show. Good to see you. Sean, it's always good to see you, my friend. Hey, so there's uh, news coming out of Washington this morning that Speaker Mike Johnson and Chucky Schumer have come up with a deal 
on this year-end spending. Now, just to remind everybody, there's two deals going on. One, we've got to figure out how to, well, we don't have to, but they're trying to figure out how to fund the border as well as Ukraine. This is how to fund the government for the rest of the year. Um, Based on what you know so far, do you think this is a good deal? Not if you're wanting to cut long-term spending and get our fiscal house in order. It's not. But also, I'm not sure anybody in Washington is willing to do that to to start with because they've let this now drag on like they have. They've got this split uh, appropriation cycle now with two deadlines for for government shutdowns. I I think uh, here's the problem, and I saw this, and I've been talking about this for a little bit. I just don't see the Speaker being able to pass this uh, through a regular rule vote. I think he's going to have to pass this on suspension, which means you're going to have to have all the Democrats vote for it. And so hope that means you need two thirds of the vote. But explain to people why. Too. So if you sus- put it on suspension on the suspension calendar, yeah. you need a two thirds vote. Explain to people why why you have to do that and what sort of what that means in terms of trying to pass it. Yeah, I agree. Sorry about that, Sean. I should have. No, I, no, I no. Done it. No, the, the look, normal bills go through a process called where they come out of the committees. Let's just say this is a real, you know, Congress. They have a committee. <laughs> it goes to the rules. They pass it out committee. It goes to a quarter rules committee. The rules committee in, in olden times was called the speaker's committee. I served on it for four years and it sets the agenda for the floor. It sets who gets to do amendments, who gets to do whatever on the bill. Now, you have to vote on that rule which means that if you got to, the majority should never lose a rule. Let's just put that under control. But if they do, it means that the bill never comes up. In other words, it can be the best bill in the world, but if they can't pass the rule to get it to the floor, it can't uh, be voted on by the rest of the House. Now, that only takes for the for the Congress right now, two or three Republicans to say, we're not voting for the rule, and it doesn't come up. So the alternative to pass this is what they did back in uh just you know, recently, it's also what McCarthy did back in in September. Is they will put it on suspension. A suspension says that if you can get two thirds of the body to vote for it, then you don't go through the rules process. It's supposedly that everybody would agree. The problem here is that you'll have far more Democrats vote for this than Republicans. And when you look at what the speaker's touting as the victory, you've already heard from some conservatives say this isn't it. I mean, speeding up right. the IRS reductions should. Of, of funds, which should have never happened to start with, um, and, and taking out some of the COVID money, which again, why should, is it still in there, right. is not really looked at by many as a victory uh, looking long-term. Now, he's up against a, a wall here because your, your alternative is shut down, and that's a problem as well. Well, not just shut down. I, and look, I, I get I get the position that he's in, right? He mm-hmm. has... Um, he has ostensibly a two-seat majority, although majority leader Steve Scalise is going to be out for the next few weeks yep. getting cancer treatment. So that's a one-seat majority. And by the way, Mike Johnson of Ohio moved up his resignation to January 21st. That puts literally actually will put you in a negative vote situation if you're the Speaker of the House. Um so the, the interesting thing to your point is he says he sends out this dear colleague, this letter to all the Republicans. Um, saying, hey, this is a great deal. We got more than we wanted. But at the same time, Chuck Schumer's putting out his own letter saying this is a great deal for Democrats. Let me just read you (laughs) what what the report says. It says, under the bipartisan agreement Johnson negotiated with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, defense funding is set at $886 billion for the current fiscal year, which is in line with the total that President Joe Biden and former Speaker Kevin McCarthy struck as part of 
last summer's debt ceiling package. The Accord pegs non-defense spending at nearly $773 billion. That total counts tens of billions of dollars agreed to alongside the debt limit package, the so-called side deal that conservatives tried to kill. So this sounds to me more like a push than anything else. Like all we've yeah. done is move the ball forward from where it was. I, I don't, I mean, I think depending on what you thought of the last deal, all this is, is the, the fruition of that. It is in many ways, but, but look, Sean, and, and this is, I, I'm not giving anybody a pass here. I'm, I'm really not, but I do believe that from the moment Mike Johnson became speaker and Mike is a, is a friend. I mean, he was in an untenable situation Yeah, and because I, I, I'm going to say this, I don't think there's a workable majority in the house right now. There's just not. Okay. There may be by name only by R by name, but as far as workable majority, unless it is voting on, you know, something that is just everybody would agree on that, you know, ice cream is good. Um, <laughs> even, that, you even that you would have. Yeah, even that would be a problem, you know, but it, it would be. He is he just doesn't have the, the numbers to play with. And and the problem is also is that, you know, with those being out, the number goes from 218 to 217, possibly 216. The problem is, though, is Democrats aren't moving. They're still about 212, I think it is, in the number. So the closer you get to 212, the literally the closer the Democrats can have to controlling the floor. Right. Um, but we've got to figure this out. My prediction right now, and it's something that I would hope would not happen, um, would be that you're going to see possibly a shutdown uh, based on the first expense, which, by the way, is the Veterans Administration. So get ready there's for that. Four, right. There's four, right? In that, yeah, in that, yeah. that, that go veterans, agriculture. I mean, and then, and that's on the 19th of January. And then on February 2nd, you've got the entire rest of the appropriations bills. Um, I, so that's the question. And I think it's interesting that you, you, you say, I don't envy anyone in this. I get the Freedom Caucus members in particular who are saying this is ridiculous. But at the same time, you go back to, to Speaker Johnson or take Speaker Johnson out and fill in the blank with name and say, tell me what the solution is. Yeah. Because at some yeah. point, uh, you've got to pass the House, then you've got to get the Senate to agree to it. And I think the question is, what's the best possible deal you can get, considering that you've got a Democratic Senate and a Republic and a, and a Democratic uh, White House. The question I have for you is, is our Senate Republicans doing enough? That's the one area where I feel like those guys could stand up more. Uh, you would think they would, but they're not. Because um, look, they've they've passed out of committee 12 appropriation bills bipartisanly. Okay. Right. And remember, they only have to have 60 over there. The Senate's a different you know, animal when it comes to this, because one, they have the luxury of time in, on their side, unless they're in cycle for this year, they're either two years or four years away from an election cycle, an eternity in politics. They can do things that the house really, you know, can't do, but you're right. If they wanted to really stop this, the Republicans would just say, look, we're not going to give you the votes for cloture. And you know, that sort of shuts it all down. Then the question becomes, what is the realistic, you know, game? What's the realistic ask? This, the border stuff, Biden is coming toward them on because Biden understands politically. Well, let me rephrase this. His advisors understand that he's in deep trouble if he doesn't show any kind of form of closing the border. That's just a fact. And he'll, he'll withstand the, the fire from the left because the left is not going to vote for anybody on the right. Um, so they'll have to come back and board or they just don't vote. So there's some leverage to be had here. But we're, I mean, Sean, this is what you've been there. This is what's frustrating to me. You're four months roughly into a new fiscal year. 
and we're still fighting over what will be spent till September. Um, I think you've heard, you know, and <laughs> we're that's fighting just, for eight you months. Can't you can't do it. You can't do right. it this way. This is just not the way to do it. Um, and here's an interesting point. And when I say about an unworkable House majority, the ag bill that's going to be up in the first batch, we couldn't pass off. And I say we Republicans couldn't pass it on our own off the floor. Think about that one for a second. But but so I guess the question is, do you do you basically come out and admit that our goal right now is to get like to your point, the, the, the fiscal year is from October 1st through September 30th. Right. We are four months in to fiscal year 25 right to to yeah. well to 24 i'm sorry 24 24 day to day at this point i know and 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 so now you're to your point right that all of this discussion right now is to fund from basically february to september for the last 8 months and then we got to do it all over again yep uh, is the what so is the is in in some ways the strategy maybe to come out and say guys here's the reality we do not have the votes to do anything. Our goal is to stop the bleeding is to literally just stop the bleeding between now and then. Yeah. And that's what we, I mean, because they got to at some point also communicate uh, to the broader base what's going on. I think there's a lot of people who are looking for results. I had Chip Roy on the show the other day. He's like, we got to fight. I agree with him on that. But there's got to be some strategy right now. And I feel like it's like you, you like it's a ping pong game. We're watching it go from one side to another. We go through all these machinations and then we end up with the same number. We're, yeah. we're like, I get it. Johnson's trying to tout this, but this is a push. And then on the Ukraine border stuff, I still have yet to understand. Like, I mean, I get what we should be doing, which is a change in policy. And right now, the White House is doing a sleight of hand where they're basically trying to pump up the money that they send. And what people are forgetting on this is that they're going to say, we're sending more money to the border. That money is going to be used to process more asylum claims. We're still going to get people coming into this country. Yep. They're just going to get a court date in 2039. Yep. You're exactly right. Look, I, 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 Chip's a friend. I like Chip a lot. My only problem is, and, and again, and they would say, well, you don't ever show your final cards. Okay, I get it. But we've been doing this for so long. What are you fighting for? What do you accept? And, and I think this is going to be the issue for Republicans. And frankly, you know, it's one of the issues for Democrats when the, when the opposite, because I believe like next year, you know, if we're looking for a Trump administration with a Republican Senate and God forbid we lose the House, what are the Democrats in the in the House? You know, what are they going to realistically look for? And I say this to say this. Chip, and now I agree we need to fight, but there has to be a method to the fight that just does simply go out, and you made this statement earlier, the base is looking for one thing. All they hear is, we won't accept. They don't understand the nuances of, if we say we're not going to accept number 10, but when it really and truly will accept number seven, that's when they don't understand. And I think we've got to look at this in meaning bigger what? picture. Meaning, meaning that they're, that's a win? Is that a win in your mind, that, that we actually took a lower number? Is that that's And we should be selling that as the win? No, I don't think. Look, I don't think there's a real win here. I'm gonna be frank. I think this is is just a is a, a problem uh, for Republicans because number one, we couldn't pass our own bills. Let's just be frank about that. Right. We couldn't pass it out of the House, so so we're set with a Senate who has 60 votes in the pocket. So again, it's like going into it's trying to sell something and realizing that the person you're trying to sell it to knows the value uh, of what you're selling. You're trying to cover it up and say, look, I've only I've only got 10 percent margin here. They know you've got 20% margin. They don't care. They've got their they've got their votes in the pocket, and we couldn't pass our own bills. That's what I'm trying to say. 
I want to, I got two things I want to cover before we, or, or before we wrap, but the first is uh, this, this weekend on, on face the nation, I've never seen a host so blatantly argue for the other side as Margaret Brennan did the host of, of moderator, whatever you want to call her on face the nation. She had speaker Johnson on, let me just play the clip. I focus the congressional resources on going ahead with an impeachment when they could be dealing with the actual issues here on the ground. Our, our Homeland security committee has done its job. They have a constitutional responsibility, a legal responsibility to investigate what is happening with the agency that they have oversight for. They've done that for a year, very methodically, carefully in detail and they've documented all that. I believe Secretary Mayorkas is an abject failure, but it's not because of incompetence. I believe he has done this intentionally. I think these are intentional policy decisions that he's made, and I think there must be accountability for that. And I, I can tell you the vast majority of Americans agree with us on that point. Brennan asks, the congressional resources going ahead with the impeachment when they could be dealing with the issues on the ground. Speaker Johnson replies, I believe Secretary Mayorkas is an abject failure. I believe he has done this intentionally. These are intentional decisions he has made, and I think there must be accountability for that. And then Brennan responds, you're going to impeach the guy you need to negotiate with. In other words, yeah, he might not be doing his job, and he may be doing this, but we're gonna that that that's a, that's your dereliction of duty. This is what we're up against. Fentanyl's flowing in, terrorists are flowing in, illegals are flowing into this country, and yet the media is, hey, how dare you go after Mayorkas? Yep. Uh, the only thing I'll just sort of say off the top is, is that must be the first time you've watched Margaret in a while because she she advocates for that other side all, to be a Democrats all the time. Well, to um, be blunt, I don't. I you're right. I don't watch. Uh, yeah, that's it's, the one that. Yeah. You don't have to because it's just obvious. Look, they don't get it. Uh, he's misused the law. He's not. I mean, parole is not uh, meant for the way he's using it. They again, it's just a total disaster. I, I agree. He. I've been saying for two and a half years that he would have been the one to, to impeach and impeach now because he is. I mean, folks who used to work in the department will say he's a complete abject failure. I mean, in this, and I agree with Speaker Johnson in, in this. What they, the press will try to do is try to say Republicans aren't serious about you know spending, they're not serious about others because they're off on these wild goose chases. Where were these same press when there was the fake uh, Russia impeachment? There were all these other well, things going on. They're not there. But where are, they, where are they talking about the threat to the country? This is a national security risk. Yeah. And their answer is, oh, please don't go after this guy. Speaking of going after these guys, I, I want to wrap on, on one thing with you. Uh, the news coming out over the weekend was shocking. The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, yeah. checks himself into the hospital for a, what they call a routine procedure, which we still don't know what it is. A couple days later, on January 1st, he gets taken back to Walter Reed uh, Medical Center and admitted to the ICU because of, quote, intense pain. He tells no one. A couple days later, he informs the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Kathleen Hicks, who's in Puerto Rico, by the way, on vacation, <laughs> that she must assume his duties for no reason, doesn't say why, never informs the president of the United States until January 4th. And then on the 5th, we all find out that this is going on. Is this to you an instance where Lloyd Austin needs to resign? Yes. I I, I don't see any way around this. And, and because you think about this here for a time, it, it this brings up so many questions, okay? One, how does the Secretary of Defense not communicate with the White House in a period of five days and nobody cares? 100%. Uh, how does the national security advisor, even if you don't, even if you take the president out of the loop, how does the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, not know 
that there is nobody running the defense department. Um, and, and, and then you take it into a step further. You say, uh, you know, you have Israel going on. You have the Ukraine going on. You have the attacks from the Houthis out of Yemen. Yes. All this going on. Where is the commander here? And, and my question is, here's another question that's not been asked. At least I haven't heard it asked. Did the Joint Chiefs chairman know he was out of loop? Oh, who did not you know with your question? Yeah, not to mention. Yeah, I, I agree. No, and, frankly, you have no civilian control. Here, here's the answer. At that point, with nobody knowing him gone, there was no civilian control of the, of the Department of Defense. That's right. Doug Collins, I appreciate you being with us. Always enjoy your time. Thanks a lot. And I'll see you soon. Take care, Sean. Take care. You bet. All right, folks. Two amazing conversations. Steve Moore breaking it down. You heard him there very clearly. Trump should fire Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, if we get back into the White House. That's big news. Never happened before. I think we made some news there. And then Doug Collins, former congressman, talking about resigning and impeaching, is saying that Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, should resign. Those are two big things. Hopefully the press will cover both of those. We've got a great week ahead. As I said, so much on the docket this week in terms of congressional spending, politically what's happening. You got a debate coming up Wednesday night on CNN. I don't, don't even get me started. I'll break that down later in the week between DeSantis and Haley with Jake Tapper, a former Democratic staffer. This is what we're getting. So much to break down. Continue to uh, text me if you want, 571-441-4991. Join my VIP group, Sean Spicer Show dot com slash VIP. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.